Nehemiah chapter 4. Today we'll be looking at verses 7 through 14. I mentioned this last week, how there's so much to learn from the book of Nehemiah regarding leadership and prayer and planning and all of these things. We're going to see a little bit more of that even today, but that's not what the book is really all about. The book of Nehemiah is really about God restoring his people and preparing them for the fulfillment of his covenant through his son, Jesus. That's what this is about. He's building, the the walls are being built, aren't they? We'll talk about this in in a minute. The walls are being built, but the people are being built at the same time. And I, and I, I don't want to go past that without pointing out that God does the same thing in your life, brothers and sisters. There's, there's a project that you're doing. There's some, something that, some discipline that God is doing in your life. That project is good, but it's not really the intent of the Lord in it, probably. Probably there's something deeper that He's wanting to do in your character, in your person. Don't miss it. That's what God's purpose in the book of Nehemiah is. And as we'll see again today, there's opposition to that work sometimes, isn't there? from our own flesh and its desires to the enemy. People will come and sow seeds of doubt, um, along with maybe a little sliver of truth. Right? That's how the enemy makes things believable. A little bit of truth, and yet they forget to understand or remember that God is always with and for his people. And so Nehemiah led the people in confidence, saying this is who God is, don't forget. Now, Jason mentioned the bad guys, the antagonists, Tobiah, Sanballat. I don't know how you say his name. It's funny any way you say it. Um, Geshem was another guy that's mentioned. Their people groups will be mentioned in these verses today. But Nehemiah didn't bother too much about them. He took them seriously, don't get me wrong. But he knew that God was with and for his people, and so he knew if he's if you glance back at chapter 2, verse 20, he said this boldly. He said, the, the God of heaven will make us prosper. He was confident. And so it, in our text today, he'll pray again. And God answers Nehemiah's prayer like he did last week in an unexpected way. He'll pray and have his prayer answered in another unexpected way this week. Now, even though the people of Jerusalem were united in the goal of rebuilding the walls, it doesn't mean the job was easy. And it didn't mean that they were unaffected by those who wanted them to fail. And that's what we see in chapter 4. Let's read verses 7 through 14 and ask the Lord to bless his word to our ears today. Let's read first. Chapter seven, chapter 4, verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we'll not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Verse 12, 
At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Let's pray. Lord, it's too easy to read something like this and make the observation that this happened thousands of years ago and is therefore not applicable to our lives. Uh, reprimand us of that mindset this morning. It's not true. Lord, you have a very distinct purpose in your mind for believers at Ramsey Creek Church uh, in 2023 to read this very thing. There's principles and truths to be learned here. There's, there's deeper trust in your son that you want to accomplish through the reading and studying of your word. And so As we do that together, Lord, we pray your blessing might be upon us as we hear what is absolutely life-changing. And it's not my voice. It's not my words. It's yours. And so bless it to us today in your name. Amen. I want you to notice in these verses, we've talked about opposition before, but it was... It was, hey, look at those feeble Jews. They're not going to be able to do it. It's going to take you too long, right? It was ridicule. It was, you know, like, I don't like them, but it's no big deal. Then let's ridicule and mock them. And now it's kind of uh, been escalating, right? Now they're saying, let's sneak in among them and wipe them out. And they won't even know it because they'll be dead. And so if you look back at... uh we, we see their mindset at verse 8. It says, they all plotted together. These are the enemies of the Jews in Jerusalem. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion. So they want to fight and they want to cause confusion. Does this sound like the tactic of, of anybody else? It's the enemy, right? To, to fight, to say lies, and to cause confusion. It, it's interesting to me that the people of God in Jerusalem had dedicated themselves, had, had pulled themselves together to rebuild the walls. They'd unified together on that work. And they were making progress. But look at what the enemies of God do. They unite together to cause confusion and chaos. They wanted to accomplish their own purposes and to harm and confuse I just want to point out, guys, understand that the ways of the world are not the ways of God. We can see that right here. That was their task tactic. Let's rule over them by causing confusion and fighting and killing them. And that wasn't the ways of God. In fact, the ways of God are opposite to the ways of this world. First Corinthians 6, Paul says, What fellowship can light have with darkness? They, they don't go together. We know that. We, we cannot hope to see change come to a world that needs it by dealing with the problems of the world with the wisdom of the world. And we see that happening in our culture constantly. Well, let's fix this problem by, in essence, creating a whole nother one. You know the old saying, two wrongs don't make a right. You can't do that. 
The ways of the world can't fix the world. They need something better. Who has something better? Jesus. Christians have something better. And it's not because you're better. It's because Christ is better than all the stuff that the world would try to use to fix the problems. The only hope for our world, our nation, in fact, is that hearts would be turned to God's truth by the Spirit of God himself. That's it. And that happens by the proclaiming of his word in what we do on Sunday mornings and in what you do in your lives and with your mouths week in and week out. In your families and homes, in your workplace with, with your coworkers and your employees. This is how that happens. For Christians, opposition will always be there. But how you respond to that says really more about you than it does to those who oppose you because you claim to have the Spirit of Christ in you. Opposition oftentimes reveals what's really in our hearts. Hard times have a way of doing that, don't they? So look at verses 7 and 8. Uh, they tell us that Israel's enemies weren't just going to roll over and let God's people do their work peacefully. They were going to make it hard. They were upset about the progress. Um, they wanted to be able to exploit them still, to attack them whenever they wanted. And they weren't just making fun of them anymore, calling them feeble and foolish. Now they were threatening violence. They hadn't acted on that threat just yet, but they were making plans to. I imagine that we've each felt a little bit of that attack, that plotting against us in our own lives. I think it could come to us in some of those like what-if statements. You guys know what I mean when I say that? It's like, well, what if, for the Jews, like what, what if maybe we are too feeble? I mean, my daughter is lifting these stones to build the wall with me. Maybe they're right. Maybe we are too feeble. You know, what if, what if God doesn't help us and we end up worse off than when we started? Now we've wasted all this time building walls that can never be maintained. Now we're worse off. What if? For us, maybe it's, what if, what if my friend or my loved one doesn't respond well to what I need to say to them? What if the medical report comes back with News that is bad. What if? What if? You're, surely your mind is like mine and those thoughts come in rather frequently. I imagine it did for the Jews in this story too. This is all of the work of the enemy. Sowing seeds of doubt and worry and fear. And just like the antagonists in the story here with Nehemiah, the enemy wants to cause confusion and fear in you too. And when the people of God aren't united in their mindset, but are confused and fearful, well, they won't move forward in doing God's work, will they? They'll be so stuck in that fear and so focused on themselves and their own problems that they won't move forward into the work that God is calling them to. Well, Nehemiah's response is really important to us then. If we're facing these sorts of things ourselves, look at what he says. Verse 9, And we prayed to God. Number one, number two, and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So we see a lot of wisdom and discernment here. We do want to take note of that. We see prayer first and foremost again, and then we see action 
based on that prayer and on that knowledge of God. So I think this is prayer and action all rolled up into one proper response by not only a godly leader, but a people that were willing to follow. The King James Version says, nevertheless, we, uh, we made our prayer to God. So even though they were doing what they were doing, despite all of that, nevertheless, we decided to do what we were called to do. We prayed. And this is another situation where God was moving in unexpected ways. God surely could have eliminated the threat, couldn't he? We've seen him, we saw him do that. You've read stories in the Old Testament, miraculous interventions of God where, you know, God will send like one angel and he'll wipe out tens of thousands of his enemies. It's, it wouldn't be that hard for God, would it? He could have taken out the opposition here. He could have eliminated the threat and stopped Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, but he doesn't do that here. The walls needed to be rebuilt And the deeper thing was, the people needed to be rebuilt too. Their faith was deepened as they trusted the Lord in the face of controversy. I imagine every stone that's set up upon that wall is another block of faith, if you will. Bolstering the foundation that God was creating there. So it makes sense, based on what Nehemiah and the people do, it makes total sense to pray, doesn't it? That should be our first response. But it doesn't mean that we're supposed to just sit back and do nothing then as a result. God knew, or the people knew that God was with them and for them. And so it makes sense not only to pray, but also to prepare, right? Nehemiah has been doing this all along. You guys are probably sick of me talking about our chickens at our house, but we've got 17 chickens at our house and we like to let them free range as much as possible because I'm cheap and it saves on chicken feed. Um, but we've had problems with predators taking out our chickens. So as a, as a good chicken owner, what should I do? Does it make sense to pray and say, God, protect our chickens? Sure, that's a fine prayer. But wouldn't it also make sensible uh, sense to like put up a fence or something to try and prepare for a possible attack from the predator? Okay, let's move from chickens to children. Not the same thing, but some of the principles apply. Parents, many of our kids have cell phones. Now we should pray, God protect the eyes and ears and minds of our kids. It's a right prayer to pray. We should pray that prayer. But doesn't it also make sense to maybe set up some filters and some guards and, you know, be evaluating what your kids are seeing on their phones? And I'm not just picking on kids here because adults need the same sorts of things oftentimes. So, yes, pray. Right, But it also makes sense to prepare. And that's what Nehemiah is doing here. And it says, so they prayed and then they they did what? They set a watch. They planned accordingly. I I said this several uh, weeks ago. I said in chapter 2, praying is key, but planning is prudent. Like It's sensible. That's what prudent means. It's sensible. It's logical. It makes sense. So we see Nehemiah is driven by faith because he prays first, but then he was also sensible at the same time. 
And he set a guard against the enemy all the time, day and night. I heard another pastor as I was studying this week say that this, doing what they did here, sent a powerful message in three different ways. Number one, it sent a message to the people of God there. And it said, brothers and sisters, we're not giving up on this. We're committed. Okay? This is going to succeed because God is with us and we will... And, and he will enable us to overcome every obstacle. Number two, it sent a message to the enemies of God. And it said, look, you're not going to succeed. You're not going to keep us from doing what God is calling us to do. God's work is not going to be stopped. We're going to make necessary sacrifices to see that it's done. And it means weary nights, right? He set a guard day and night. It means sleepless nights doesn't matter. We're going to be committed to it. And then thirdly, it really sends a message to God himself in that, Lord, we trust you. We know that you're with us. We know that this is going to succeed because you've called us to it. So we love you and we trust you, Lord. Here we go. It was good. Uh, there was progress. Even despite the problems, there was progress. But then we get to verse 10. Look at verse 10 with me. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we won't be able to rebuild the wall. So we've got opposition from the outside, but now it's coming from the inside, isn't it? Judah, the clan of Judah, was honestly supposed to be one of the big, one of the most powerful, one of the bravest. And yet they now were beginning to lose heart. The excuses come easy. You can look at them with me. They said, our strength is failing. There's too much rubble. We can't do it on our own. We're too weak. Uh, if there's danger, um, can we continue? Can we continue if there's danger? These are sensible, like, problems or uh, excuses, aren't they? Like, yeah, we, we are kind of feeble. We We don't have a lot of protection here. We've got... I mean, Jason talked to the kids and he said, Nehemiah wasn't a lieutenant. These people were not trained for battle. You've got probably maws and paws out there with their pitchforks and a sword, maybe a sword, maybe it was a corn sword or something like that for cutting down wheat or who knows. But it's, you've got maws and paws out there defending their, their part of the wall. This is kind of wild, isn't it? Discouragement is real, and we see that played out here. You've got a clan from inside, and they're saying, maybe those outside are right. (laughs) Maybe we are too feeble. Discouragement is real. Just think about the last time that uh, someone went out of their way to encourage you. Hopefully, it was maybe something this week. Think about that. How has someone encouraged you? That sticks with you, doesn't it? But now think about a time when somebody discouraged you. I hate to say it, but my guess is that the discouraging times stick with us longer than the encouraging times, don't they? Sometimes the difference between success and failure is well-timed encouragement. And Nehemiah is going to show us that. Could I encourage you? or challenge you to do something this week, you know, because I, I, I imagine when I talked about 
somebody being discouraging to you, something popped into your head. We've all, we've all got something. If, if that's true for you, it's probably true for those sitting around you. So my encouragement and challenge to you is this, go out of your way this week to encourage someone else. Perhaps someone in this room, perhaps not. Maybe it's writing them a letter, something tangible that when they're having another discouraging day, they can look back at it. Maybe it's a text, maybe it's a phone call, maybe it, whatever it might be, I'm giving you homework this week, sorry. Encourage somebody. You know how big of a deal that is in your life. Be that for someone else. But the discouragement coming from Jerusalem is coming from inside. And not only that, but it continued and ramped up on the outside. Look at verses 11 and 12. Our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. And notice how the, the purpose of the threats and the discouragement were focused on one thing, stopping the work. They were trying to discourage him from doing that. They were even planning to kill them, all with the purpose of stopping the work still the same today. The purpose of the enemy is to stop the work of God in his people and through his people. Brothers and sisters, we don't though wrestle against flesh and blood, do we? We wrestle against principalities, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, Ephesians 6.12 says. But it doesn't mean just because we can't see our enemy that we're not in a battle. Now, I'm not one to... to maybe over-spiritualize everything into a battle like this, but there is one raging. You feel it at times, as do I, maybe now more than ever, but this is a battle that we're not fighting against the person in the car next to us who just cut us off. They're not the enemy. It's not the person who said something bad about our kid at school. It hurts, but they're not the enemy either. It's not even about the loved one who's walked away from truth and right. They're not the enemy. Satan is the enemy, and he wants to try and stop what God is doing in and through his people, the church. Now, we ought to be working together with the same mindset that the people here did, aren't we? Because we're not building literal walls at this point. God has called us to be living stones in a, in a greater dwelling, in a better building. That's the church. Our call is to proclaim the, the good news of the gospel and to actively disciple one another. But the enemy would rather keep us too busy for stuff like that. Maybe you've heard it said, well, that kind of stuff is what the pastors get paid for. I don't need to worry about it. Or maybe, well, meeting with somebody once or twice a month That'll just take too much time out of my schedule. I just can't do that right now. Someone else will do it. I'm, I'm sure of it. Have you heard those excuses? Have you thought those excuses? Have you said those excuses to someone? That's, it seems like some of the Jews who lived outside the city, back in Nehemiah 4, that they heard the plotting of the enemy and they were rushing to, to Jerusalem. Maybe they cared, genuinely cared about the people there. And they said, you're not safe in this, in this city. Come back to us. Ten times he says they said this sort of thing to him. 
I, I think it's entirely possible that well-meaning people in your life could possibly lead you away from what God is calling you to do as well. We need discernment. We need wisdom like Nehemiah had and was given. You can see when they came and they were saying over and over and over, return to us, it's not safe here. It seemed like there started to be maybe some panic setting in, some some grumblings among the people, if you will. Do you ever find yourself there? Stuff that's going on in your life, maybe stuff that just somebody else is... I mean, all you all you need is for somebody to just repeat the news to you from the night before, and that could work you into a panic pretty easily. I'm sort of exaggerating, but I'm sort of not. It can happen, and it was happening here. Does, does this happen to us? Are we easily worked into a panic? Do you not understand when others around you aren't panicking like you are? Is that confusing to you? Like, why aren't you so worried about this like I am? This is the feeling I think we get from verse 12. The people say repeatedly, you must return to us. You must return to us. You must return to us. Now, Nehemiah could have succumbed to the panic, couldn't he? He, he could have maybe even just done nothing about it. But the next verse shows us faith in action. Look at verse 13. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So practically, Nehemiah told people, he said, go get your armor, go get your pot lids. I don't know what they had. I mean, they had swords and spears and, and bows, some of them surely, but go get stuff to defend yourself and you're going to set up a watch. Get your family together with everything you can find to defend yourself and stand guard. This this isn't panic. This is sensible wisdom, isn't it? Just like building a fence for my chickens and putting filters on your kids' phones. This is just makes this just makes sense. This is just sensible actions here. It's not panic. And so he sets people in the low parts of the wall that maybe weren't completely built up properly yet he sets them in the open places uh, some versions talk about in the in the high places kind of thinking of like maybe in a watchtower area he sets people by their clans or their families together in this I, just to point out again they're not taking the offensive here he doesn't say get your stuff and we're going to go fight them he says just be ready just prepare sensible this is exactly what uh, Nehemiah motivates the people with in verse 14. He says, guard what God has given you. Look, he says, be prepared to fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Be prepared. What's the source of this strength? What's the, what's the source of this bravery? Is it their physical strength? Probably not. Is it the size of their group? No, they're feeble, they're weak in numbers. Is it, is it their cunning military prowess? If that was true, they wouldn't be in the situation they're in. It wasn't any of those things. What was the source of their strength and bravery? Well, they didn't have to be afraid. The people of God didn't have to be afraid because the Lord is great and awesome. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, I looked around 
and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, here's what Nehemiah encourages him with. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Brothers and sisters, this is our strength. This is our source of strength, our source of bravery. It is not how many guns you have in your gun safe. I'm not saying you shouldn't have those there. But that's not where our strength comes from. It doesn't come from the weight benches in our basement. It comes from remembering who really the battle belongs to, right? Who who does he say? He says, remember the Lord. Think back to the previous victories. I'm sure he's saying to them. Maybe he even recounted some of them to them. Remember the Lord who did this in our people's history. Who did this in our own lives. Remember just in getting Nehemiah to Jerusalem. Remember how he stood before the king. And he made these requests and the king gave him everything he asked for. Without a problem. He says, remember the Lord. Remember everything that God has done. But never forget that the battle belongs to God. The battle belongs to the Lord. Any victories that we might have as a, are, are, are a result of His power, not ours. Remember the Lord. When opposition comes, uh, lies, threats, doubt, fear, maybe even panic, uh, these are all weapons of the enemy. When these come, remember the Lord. Don't doubt Remember the Lord. Don't fear. Remember the Lord. Don't panic. Remember the Lord. Have I said it enough times that you'll remember this today? Remember the Lord. Yeah, yeah, remember the victories that he's given you in your life. Man, we ought to remember the joy of celebrating baptism last week. That was, that was awesome. Remember the Lord in that. He is great and awesome. He still saves people. He still delivers people from darkness into light. Be encouraged by 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. There it says, just simply, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Remember the Lord. Because who He is is greater. And He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Because of this, we have confidence in God and at the same time, we put no confidence in the flesh. Notice that in that text that I just quoted from First John, he doesn't say that you are greater than the world. Did he? This is not semantics. This is not uh, splitting hairs. This is just good biblical study, right? He doesn't say you are greater than the world. He says he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He says he who is in you. Power is not yours. This is spirits. And by these encouragements, believers can have peace and rejoice because as Jesus himself says in John 16, I have overcome the world, Jesus says. Jesus has overcome the world. By the living spirit of God indwelling within them, believer, you can overcome the lies and temptations of the enemy in your life today. You may never be free of them until we're free of this mortal body and present with the Lord, but you know who holds the key to victory. 
here. It is not you. It's the Lord by the power of His Son, Jesus. If, if you are in Christ, you are held in His hand. And yet, the opposite is also, also true. If you are not held by Jesus, if you don't know Him, you, you can't overcome the world because you are a part of it. Because you are in love with it. Now, you may not feel it that way, but that's true. You, G- Jesus says you can only serve one of two masters. If you love the world, you have no part of Him. And so the choice has to be made. The decision is there. If you are not held by Christ, you are under the sway and the power of the evil one, of the ruler of this world, if you will. But the the beauty of the gospel is, the beauty of remembering the Lord is that you can be freed from doubt and fear and panic that come from living according to the ways of the evil one. You can be free from those things through Christ and trade them for peace and assurance and truth and righteousness. And the call to us today is the same as Nehemiah's to the people of Jerusalem. He says, remember the Lord. Another way of saying this would be set your eyes not not on the problem, not on the enemy. Set them on the solution. Brothers and sisters, what's the solution? There's only one. It's faith in Christ. It's the truth that's only found in the Word of God that we find only by the Spirit of God. And so the encouragement is the same. Remember the Lord. Set your eyes on Him. And if you've never done that, you can do it today. And it doesn't involve reciting a particular set of words. It involves you humbling yourself, even maybe right there in your seat, and saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I am not ever going to be strong enough. It has to be Christ. I believe in Him. I put my faith and trust in Him, and I want to live for Him forever. It's a simple prayer, brothers and sisters. Would you pray with me now? Well, we're grateful to remember you. We're grateful that we have a book that's not just a historical document, It's also not just a book of of fairy tales or anything along those lines. Lord, this this is truth that has stood the test of time for thousands and thousands of years. Many have tried to discredit it. Many still do today. Many have tried to destroy it and get rid of it, and yet it remains accessible, at least to where we are in the world, easily accessible. And so the danger for us is not, Lord, that we don't have this to learn of you and to know you on, but, Lord, that we would be so complacent that we forget the beauty and the truth and the life that springs from these pages in this word. And so, Lord, we want to believe with all of our hearts that you have overcome the world and that you, the one who is in us is Jesus Christ, the spirit of Christ has overcome the one that is in the world. But that doesn't happen just by coincidence or happenstance, Lord. It happens by active submission. And so, Lord, I just say on behalf of my brothers and sisters, we submit again to you today. May that drive us then to be an encouraging force, to dispel the doubt and the panic that sometimes work their way into our hearts and minds. 
So use us this week, Lord, as we encourage one another to break us free from that mindset of fear and doubt, but instead be freed to remember you, how you are great and awesome and how you love us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.